Today is the day. It is the day where we conclude our series, Rhythms of Life. Now, for some of you, it might be a sigh of relief, as this series has been a review of things tried and true for you, and you felt that although it's a good reminder in the new year, you've kind of got this all under control. Or, for some of others here today, maybe it's actually a day that you've been waiting for where you get to hear another great practice to help us grow in our Christ-likeness. Or, we learn about how to bring it all together in an easy one, two, three steps to a new you and a new Christ-like you. But, wherever you find yourself today, whether it's within one of those three statements or not, whether this is the first week that you are here with us in this series or the fifth week, I want to begin with a question. Have you ever been part of a team? Whether music ensemble, possibly a band, or a sports team, or some other kind of team that I didn't think of when I was writing this, maybe you're a part of that. In my life, I've been part of many different teams. Each team had many different roles had many different parts that needed to be fulfilled. I know that every team environment is different. Each is unique and tends to evolve into something that looks more like one unit moving together as they understand each other more. If this doesn't happen, then it will obviously become just that, a bunch of individuals out there on the floor, a bunch of individuals playing an instrument. However you see that, it's just a bunch of individuals not working in sync. One story I remember from my past, when I was playing on a team, I was playing basketball. I know, I'm short, I get it. Athena was short, she played basketball too. We just like to defeat the odds, all right? This was like grade five or six back in New Brunswick. So, not a crazy place for basketball to be, but that was my thing. We had a great team, full of talent actually. Obviously, we didn't win every game, but over the course of the two seasons we did play together, we became better and we began to look more and more like we were one unit moving together. I remember one game in particular where I felt like I was playing pretty good. I was playing particularly well. And obviously that was tied to me scoring a ton of points, right? That's what is equated with goodness. Connor McDavid, great scorer. Sure, he's a great player. I'm a Leafs fan, so let's just say I'm not buying it, right? Boos, yays, yeah, 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 we get it. But we both scored seven goals last night, so that's a good thing. I feel like I was doing everything that I could to help the team win that day. I was using everything I had to provide all that I could to the team. That game, I was a one-man team. My teammates celebrated every hoop that I was able to convert, though. I remember one shot that I took in particular. It is one of those shots that sounds like a thing of fiction when I say it out loud. You may think I'm overstating this, but let's hear it. So since I was particularly feeling it, I decided I was taking the next possession and I was taking it to the hoop as a heat check. No matter what I was coming at me, I was going to see if everything was just gonna go in that day. It didn't matter. I was really feeling it, so I was driving the ball to the hoop. I saw their defender starting to cut off my lane. Before I get too ahead of myself, I should tell you that, that at this point in basketball culture in New Brunswick, the finger roll was a big deal. Okay, back to the shot. I started my two steps at, to the basket at the three-point line. For those of you that understand basketball, that's pretty far away. So for a five-foot-nothing point guard, 
that's way too early to start your drive to the hoop. Once I reached the defender, though, I jumped and performed an acrobatic, kind of sloppy finger roll. The whistle blew, foul on the defender, and the ball went in. Heat check, successful. Everything was going to fall that day. And that was my and one moment. The moment the basketball went in, you get fouled, and you get the chance to take the free throw to make it a three-point play. This is a memory, clearly, that I cherish greatly. Glory days of my really peaked in grade six, right? Now, that may sound like a small thing to remember so vividly, and you may be right, but at that point in time, it was like I was leading our team to a place of greatness, leading them to a place where legends were being made and now retold here today. A foul line finger roll and and one play for a grade six point guard in New Brunswick. Small beans. But for me, it was a huge thing, and my team thought so too when they erupted in cheers. This game was one that I played extremely well, did what I felt was best for the team, helped the team get to a point where a win was all but guaranteed. Yet, I did not do it all on my own, regardless of how this story sounds. It was not something I did as a literal one versus five. It was not something I put together the first time I laced up my shoes. It came from years of practice. Years of me taking time out of my schedule, well, more accurately, my parents making me taking time out of my schedule to prioritize my basketball skills. Years of my teammates devoting themselves to the same thing and years of the coaches being able to do the same thing. It comes through years of trial and error and continued devotion. We want to dig into that today. The personal preparation, the team aspect, the outside influence, the way we operate, the how-tos for us as Christ followers, and the way that we can practice the way. So obviously today's not all about me, so let's talk a little bit about Jesus, a fitting spot to probably point our attention on a Sunday morning. Little background details on Jesus, if this is your first time, you've never even heard of him. Jesus was on earth for around 30 years before we actually get to follow him through the books we call the Gospels. Jesus then walks with 12 people for three years in a very intimate way, spending basically all of his time alongside them. Near the end of that time is the passage we will focus our attention on today. We're looking into John chapter 15, so if you want to find that in your Bible, find it on your phone, feel free to to find that now. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. This section of scripture is seen as a part of what scholars call the upper room discourse. Basically, these words are part of the last teachings of Jesus. Thus, Jesus is, for the last time prior to his arrest, prior to his trial, prior to his crucifixion, instilling the disciples, those he traveled with in an intimate way, with what they need in order to continue their growth as disciples. The upper room discourse actually starts earlier, and in John 14, it speaks about the giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples so they will not be left alone and actually be left with what they need to continue in this journey. So up to this point in the Gospels, Jesus has revealed the way to a faithful life by how he lived out his his life and the actions that he did. And now he's just promised them the Holy Spirit, which will empower and guide them. Then now we enter our passage in John 15, a passage where 
we find something very important. Reading from verses 1 through 8 in chapter 15 of John. I am the true vine, this is Jesus speaking, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's a word that the disciples are supposed to not forget in this passage. The word in the text is repeated by Jesus many times. Jesus uses this word actually eight times in the eight verses we just read. And if we were to expand our text today to the 11 verses there, he would have said it 11 times. Now, some of you may have already know what this word is. You might be checking through the passage and you're like, I know where you're going with this. But before we directly reveal it, let's think about the text and where it's placed in the biblical narrative. We know that this is part of the last teaching of Jesus prior to being arrested. And we also likely know from experience that when someone is influence, someone of influence is sensing the ending or closing of a time together, they often have this internal need to share one last time the most important thing with those around them that they've had influence over. A farewell address is what we might call it in our context today. Political leaders, graduating classes, retirement speeches, examples from our cultural context similar to what we're experiencing in the upper room discourse. They're often filled with the sharing of moments of inspiration that those around them have had on them and vice versa. But these speeches or teachings usually have the theme around the word that Jesus uses in this passage. The word is, drum roll, remain. No drummer, so no drum roll. Remain. It is also often translated as abide. The original Greek word here is meno. It has many possible meanings, like the common translations that we find in our texts of remain and abide, but they also can convey a sense of staying, make a home in, continuing on, continuing on in an unchanged manner no matter the circumstances around you. Jesus is calling the disciples around him in that upper room to do just that. Make a home in the vine. Stay there no matter what is going on around you. You will be fruitful as branches of the vine, who is Jesus, as you remain in him. Now, there's two distinct portions of this passage, the vine and the branches. We know that Jesus is the vine because he says so. The main portion of the plant, the center part of life. 
We know that the branches are us, humans. There is a distinction between branches that needs to be addressed real quickly. The branches that are bearing fruit, the ones that are connected to the vine, and the branches not bearing fruit are those who must obviously not be connected to Jesus and thus not part of the vine. Now, let me be clear here. The fruit is not an earning that the branch gets. It is a sign of connection to God and not a reward of tasks accomplished. Say that again. The branch's fruit are not a reward of any actions that they did, but it's just a sign of connection to the life-giving power of Christ. The branches bear fruit out of connection, not because they're better than some other branch. Verses four and five in the passage today remind us that it's not because of the branch that it bears fruit, but it is because of the vine and the gardener that the branches are able to bear much fruit. Because outside of them, the vine and the gardener, the branch is simply a dried up stick. Good to be used for kindling. Now, this section is often misrepresented from a perspective that is called works righteousness or works salvation. That's basically when the reason we're able to be called Christians or stay Christians is when whatever it is we do is why we are Christians rather than what Jesus did for us, which is what we actually want to hold on to. So this section of teaching by Jesus is the exact opposite of that works righteousness, that works salvation perspective. It is calling the branches to be, to abide, to remain, to make a home in the vine and allow its power to flow through the branch so that it can produce the fruit, so that Jesus' power can flow through us so that we can bear fruit the only way we can. And that's the reason, because of our connection. James chapter two also speaks about this. James is conveying that faith, a connection with Jesus is dead if it doesn't give any proof of that connection, if it doesn't produce fruit. James understands that a branch needs its connection to bear fruit. Similar to if we cut a branch off a tree, it's not gonna stay alive. It needs a connection to the tree. That's what Jesus is pointing out here, the need for connection constant connection with him. Not a need to do more works, although those aren't bad things. Not a need to know more theology, even though that's not a bad thing either, but connection to Jesus is the main point. So if the point of Jesus' final farewell address to his followers is about remaining connected to him and not about works righteousness, how can the disciples Sitting there, how can we sitting here today remain connected to Jesus? This is where the last four weeks of our series come together and we get to see the whole picture. I'm going to present the answer as a rule of life. A rule of life is how we can remain connected. It's a great way to remain, abide, build your home in, and be connected to Jesus. So what is a rule of life then? I gave you the answer. You guys go home and figure it out. We're done. Now, I'll give you some more information. First, what do we mean by rule? Well, this phrase rule of life stems back to at least the time of St. Patrick and the Celts, maybe even as far back as the second century. So this is not a new fad that is going around. It was actually popularized by St. Benedict when he formed a rule of life for his newly established monastic order. 
So these guys kind of understand spiritual formation. So if you've ever heard of a Benedictine monk or a monastery, for that matter, this was the structure formed to help shape those original monks. It's important to note that the concept is not a plural. It's not rules of life. It's rule, singular, of life. We get the term rule from the original Latin word regula, where we also get our word regulation. Some scholars even claim that the origins of the word regula can go back to an understanding of a straight piece of wood or a definition that I'm going to argue for and I kind of like, trellis. Uh, now, we're, now we're seeing where this rule of life is going to tie into a vine illustration, trellis. Ah, I thought this out. So that is what a rule means in this context, and that's where it comes from. Now, even though there is some scholarly disagreement on that interpretation of trellis, regardless of whether or not it's correct, the idea of trellis was picked up on by the early church with reference to a rule of life. This concept of a rule of life was originally applied to our text that we're looking at today by those early followers to be able to allow for the flourishing of the vine and branches. That's what a trellis is created to do. It's created to create space for the branches to bear much fruit, to be placed in a spot where growth is most likely to happen and happen in a way that is great. The flip side of that is also true a vine that lacks a trellis can still produce fruit, yes, but it will be further exposed. It does not remove the ability, obviously, to produce fruit, but the trellis structure provides space for the branches to abide in the vine for greater flourishing. So, some modern definitions from some modern scholars about what this rule of life is, this thing that's going to bring us all back together. Andy Crouch defines it as a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. Pretty all-encompassing definition. Stephen Machia says a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, that redeem, that sustain, and transform. His is a little bit more wordy, so we'll go with my favorite biblical teacher outside of Jesus, John Mark Comer. His definition is a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he would do if he were us. Now, this may sound great to some of you. This is so good, you're speaking my love language. Or this may sound awful to others. Most of the time, if we're actually honest from either side of that understanding, the concept of a rule of life is a tough sell to our world and culture today. Rules in general are seen in a negative light and are restrictive and the opposite of what I've presented a rule of life to be, something to provide space for flourishing. And yet no matter where you land on that or not, whatever personality assessment number you are, at a base level, at our core, we all desire and crave some form of structure and predictability in our lives or a sense of order in the chaos of our lives. That is what a rule of life can begin to provide. Whether you call it a rule of life or not, it is a way to create space that is needed for us to be able to abide in the vine. So now that the concept's kind of laid out out there, what could an actual rule of life look like? 
Now, before we get into this practical side of this, I want you all to know that I don't have it all together. This isn't like a perfect thing that I always accomplish in all of my life. I have walked through days with this sense of busyness and never ceasing requirements in my life, while at the same time feeling like I never get around to the things that I say that I truly love and value. Typically, at times set aside with Jesus is one of those things that seems to slip away. And this trellis, this idea of a rule of life, has provided me over the years a way to help or combat that natural tendency to slide. But the forming of my rule of life, if I'm completely honest, took me a while to shape basically my entire seminary time. It took me not so long because I didn't want to make the changes. It took so long because I simply felt like it was another thing I had to do or add to my to-do list to do. It took so long because it felt like if I was to create a structure like this, that it would be rigid and unable to be malleable, and I wouldn't be able to grow at my own pace. I would set the standard too high and never actually reach it. It took so long because I did not take a good look at what I was actually doing with my time and to see if there was actually room to make these changes. My rule of life, edited in 2022, I'm going to share it with you. Now, I share mine with you because it's often easier to conceptualize this thing that I've said a bunch of words about with an actual tangible example of it. And I say edited in 2022 because for most of the last five years, I haven't really touched it. It hasn't really been edited. It's been something that's been able to be worked into my life. That doesn't need to be your situation, though, so don't feel like it needs to be a five-year commitment. It's very adaptable. It has only recently been edited from its far less specific one, which is why it lasted for five years, to the version that I'll now share. So, first thing I have on there, they're not in order of importance, they're just listed, is to work eight hours, six days a week. And so, work is not necessarily that I'm on the clock for that amount of time or anything like that, but it's this idea of doing something productive eight hours a day for six days of the week. The eight hours is important, and the six days is also important. Read scripture daily as part of a yearly plan. So I have a yearly plan of how I'm going to read or what I'm going to read, books, Bible, scripture, and do that daily. I have a spend time in prayer, pretty general, but as long as I can spend some time in prayer, I'm good. But I added, have a minimum of 15 minutes of silence and solitude a day, where I get to actually listen and not be the person talking. Attend a weekly Christian gathering, whether that's here on Sunday morning commonly or some other gathering. Sleep at least six hours a night. Eat three regular meals in a day. Take a 24-hour Sabbath weekly. Exercise at least four times per week. I know it doesn't look like it, but I try, all right? Serve others weekly in a sacrificial way. Not just serve others, but in a sacrificial way. And then have one distraction-free conversation with Jacqueline daily. Jacqueline's my wife, not just some random girl. You will notice that the words we, that I used throughout this rule of life don't have the words we used throughout this series. But the concept of listening to God, which was covered by Mark in week one, is present in the practice of reading scripture daily in the time of silence and solitude. The concept of community covered in week two is present in attending a weekly gathering like this 
and in working eight hours a day amongst people. The concept of stewardship is present in the work eight hours a day as you steward time and in the serving of others weekly as I steward the gifts that God has given me and share them with others. The concept of rest that Thena covered for us last week is present in the literal rest that I try to take of at least six hours of sleep and then the 24-hour Sabbath and the work structure which provides room for that. You probably also noticed that there were some other things that seemed simplistic and not at all spiritual in nature. That is part of it, though. If our lives are to be connected to Jesus in the vine, we need to remember that we also need to remain physically healthy and see all of our lives as part of the rule that we set up to remain connected to Jesus. It's not just about Bible reading. It's not just about prayer. It's not just about being at church. It's not just about giving. It's not just about serving. It's all that we are that remains connected. Can't just connect part of a branch to something and expect it to be super fruitful. Eventually, it could break off. It could die. You want to be wholly connected in that. And that's what this rule structure provides. Now, my rule does not need to be your rule. This has obviously taken years for me to get to this point. But the challenge from this series and from the life of Jesus in the teaching specifically from John 15 is where are you able to abide in the vine? What are you doing to structure your days? What are you doing to structure your weeks? What are you doing to structure your months, your years to create space to allow the fruit that is produced from being in relationship with the vine to flourish? So take some time this week to dive into your schedule. Look into where your time is focused. This is the first step to any rule of life. So try to take it this week. Don't wait. How much time do you spend on sleep? Just write it out each day. When you go to bed, when you wake up, do the simple math, you know. You can round down or up, whatever you want to do. How much time do you spend on eating around a table, on shopping? How much time do you watch TV? How much time are you also scrolling through your phone while you're on TV? God, that's the one where you don't want to round anywhere. Be honest with yourself, because the more honest you are, the more you're able to see where your actual focus and what is primary in your life, where's your primary connection at. Write it out. It might be shocking to you to find where time can just slip away. The average person in America actually watches 35 hours of TV a week. It's almost a day and a half, wholly on Netflix, right? Like, oh, don't tell me I'm a bad person, right? But you just hit it anyway. And so it just keeps rolling. But how many times do you sit there and you get to the end of your Bible reading and you hit continue playing? That's what rule of life can help. We start with our schedule and then we realize the areas that we're able to prune. Once we can see that we are able to cut things that are not a priority to us, things that we say aren't important, we can see how we can start to pull in the things that we've been learning about, those rhythms that we may not have. It allows us to lay it all out there, set up the trellis, the rule of life, the weekly schedule, the rhythm of life, whatever you want to call it, so that we can engage with Jesus more and thus be able to realize the fruit that comes from that connection. Once you look at that, don't try to overload yourself. Don't hear that here either. That's the other ditch you can fall into. 
But you can try, maybe try creating space for listening to God and some time where you can be alone for rest. Sabbath time in. Or maybe you just try creating space for silence this week. Whatever it is, maybe you add them all in. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter where you start in adding these rhythms. It matters that you actually begin to do it. Today we looked at Jesus' teaching on abiding on being connected to him so that we can bear fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what we looked at today. That's what this rule of life is going to combat. We realize that simply saying we value listening to God, we value community, we value stewardship, we value rest, yes, we can say all of those things, but it doesn't actually make those things fit into our daily lives. We realize that it takes time to shape these habits, though, just like it took time for me to develop my amazing finger roll skills. Of looking at what we now need to reshape our lives in a way that allows the primary connection point to be Christ. By seriously taking a look at how we structure our lives, what are our rhythms, and taking steps to establish a rule of life which as we've heard today, in the words of one of my favorite teachers, John Mark Comer, a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms. It's very important that these aren't things you just do alone. It's a relational thing. So a schedule, a set of practices, and relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus, space for us to become like Jesus, and space to do what he would do if he were us. So begin this week. Because being constantly connected to Jesus is the only way to life.